All right, welcome back to the Are We Home Yet podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Elizabeth. Hi, how are you? Hi, 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 hi. Hi, so, so where in the world are you? I am in The Hague in the Netherlands. Okay, how long have you lived there and why did you choose that location of all the places to live in the world? Uh, well, uh, I've been here for two years now. I have to say that my father comes from The Hague, so I came here as a child to see my grandparents every summer from the U.S. And um, why did we choose The Hague? Well, it's a bit of a long story. We, we've lived all over. I've married a Dutchman. That's a, a big uh, reason why we moved back to Holland. Mm -hmm. But The Hague, we didn't, we were kind of, because he has his own business and I make hats, it was like, where in Holland shall we live? You know, we want to live in Holland, but where? And um, Amsterdam is the obvious choice, I guess, because it's the capital. We both live there as students and um, like starting workers. But for kids, you get more of a garden, <laughs> although we have a tiny garden, we get more of a garden in The Hague. And I really love The Hague. And also the schools we thought were very good here. Uh, you can't really go wrong with any of the Dutch public schools. Anyway, and I felt home here because of my grandparents and my dad. And so, um, I mean, I live now almost around the corner from where I spent my summers. And now I cycle around and I think, oh my God, that looks familiar, it looks familiar. And then I realize I've been there with my grandfather before. So I love these uh, sudden moments of realizing that I've been somewhere before and in the city I even live in. So, wow, yeah. nice, nice, nice. Okay. All right. So tell me, like, tell me about like the food, the people, the culture, like what's all that like? <laughs> well, my parents are Dutch, so it's not... Uh, uh, a, a new culture for me living here, but I didn't grow up here. I wasn't born here, didn't grow up here. I came here for the first time to do a master's degree. So Holland is uh, is home, but it's also, uh, it's also not. Like, I don't think, I think the Dutch see me as you're Dutch, but not 100%. And in America, I might be American, but not 100%. So I'm actually nothing truly 100% although although when 4th of July comes around you know I'm you'll find me in my stars and stripes outfit and da -da -da. but then when King's Day comes around I'm totally in orange and I'm going all the way for King's Day so I'm, I'm diverse but sorry I'm I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm it's diverse. okay it's okay I enjoy it I like it but I I do that a lot so you just got to get me back on track when I do that but um uh, what was your question was uh, the food well mm -hmm. Dutch food isn't uh, isn't on the world stage like the French food or or something, um, but it's it's for you know we just lived in China for thirteen years before coming here, mm -hmm. so uh, getting Western food in China and then I mean milk, cheese, butter, mm -hmm. bread, um, those are all not Chinese. Or, traditional foods to eat and buy. So I'd have to go to a special expat supermarket to buy those things I just mentioned. And then coming here, it's so normal, yogurt, milk, butter, bread. It's like so basic. Um, and it's like, I love it. Like I go to my supermarket and I think, oh, this is so delicious. The bread is so good and the milk is so good. And then, and then it's so funny because the Dutch, they think the supermarket I've noticed the supermarket things are not good enough. So for the for the bread, they have to go to the bakery. And for certain things, they go to like for the meat. I don't go to the supermarket. I go to the butcher or I go, not me, but, and I'm like, yo, the supermarket's already paradise for me. So I don't need to go, especially to the fishmongers for the fish. I mean, I live by the seaside. So I find the fish in this area is very, uh, to a very high standard. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually something I was enjoying. Last night I was at a friend's house and she had paling, and that's Dutch eel. That probably sounds gross to a lot of people, but it is so good. It is smoked eel, and it's it's nowadays it's very pricey, and it's just it's just delicious. So you like buy a tiny little sliver, like 100 grams, and it costs I don't know what. And um, yeah, so no, I'm really I'm I'm enjoying the food incredibly. But this is interesting. My kids, who were all three born in China. Mm -hmm and left when they were 11, nine and two. So they lived there for a significant chunk of their uh, childhood mm -hmm. and they don't want to eat Dutch food at all. And, okay. and Indonesia was a Dutch colony. So we eat a lot of Indonesian food here. They don't want that either. It's, a, it's not like, 
Indonesian food's Asian and you guys lived in China. So you got to like that. No, no, no. It's a totally, it's totally just like within China, there are hundreds of different culinary uh, delights from North to South and, and spe specialties. Um, so they particularly love Northern Chinese Beijing uh, food. Uh, and so we found a, actually, there's a little mini Chinatown here in The Hague. And when we went oh. there, for dinner, the kids were like at home. It's like their home home cooking is mm. Northern Chinese Beijing food that I used to make. We had um, a helper at home, Ai, and she would make us delicious dinners every night. And I was working full time in my hat studio. So yes, that's the food yeah. story. Okay. The, and they, you they know, the Asian supermarket here and they go totally nuts. They're like, oh my God, Logama you know, the brand Logama, the spicy sauce. Mm. And then they have all the, the condiments that we use for um, dumplings, like the special to the, the, the vinegar and the special soy sauce and the special Really? Oil. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Oil. Okay. Like, that, that, we're eating Chinese. There we go. Well, you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned, okay. So when, when you mentioned Beijing, because I, I had met you in Beijing and we had met at some women's event, I think it was called Viva. And that's when I saw your hats and I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then yeah. I ended up buying a hat. And so like, okay, but before Beijing, like where, where had you been like living before Beijing? Like where were you originally living? Shall I tell you the chronological order? Yeah, Because yeah, if I grew yeah. before Beijing, then I had to go, whoa, whoa. So, so grew up in America, in Atlanta, Georgia, which okay. is very close to my heart. Atlanta. Um, so love it. I had a fantastic childhood there. I left when I was 13 mm -hmm. to Berlin, Germany. I had never been to Germany in my life. And then suddenly I lived there. Um, and I went to the John F. Kennedy School. So that was that shows that was an international American uh, German high school. Mm -hmm. And after two years, I was very sad to leave. I loved it there. Um, I moved to Luxembourg. So it was a very small country in Europe for those that don't know. We, we would sometimes receive mail saying Luxembourg, Germany. No, Luxembourg is a country just, okay. I'm sure all these listeners are very international so they'd know that. But mm -hmm. anyway, uh, Luxembourg, tiny little country in the heart of Europe. It's also known as the green heart of Europe. And I love Luxembourg. Um, I was there for the last four years of high school. So I graduated high school in Luxembourg. Uh, I was at, at a school called the European School. So there was different sections. There was like the French section, the Danish section, the Greek section. I was in the British section because English is my first language, as opposed to the Dutch section, which is the passport, the European passport I had that meant that I could go to that school. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, I then, and that's kind of interesting, I went to study in the UK also because of English. And those of you listening are like, are oh, you sound American? Well, obviously because I grew up there, but I went to the UK and I did my bachelor's there in London. Mm -hmm. So that's three years. And then I decided I wanted to do a master's in the Netherlands. So that's the first time I ever lived in the country where my parents are from, okay. Holland. So I moved to Amsterdam and I did a master's there. And, uh, and then I started working really. So I, I think I was there um, for six years. Okay, what, what did you originally do for work? Cause now you do something with fashion, with hats. So what did you originally do? Well, from, for starters, I've always been making things with my hands. Like, like this room probably looks like a huge mess to people, but it's just like everything. My button collection and ribbon collection. I've always been making things since I, like if I, wanted to make a dress, I'd take a t-shirt and add a stick piece onto it at the bottom or make a skirt out of an umbrella or I've always been doing this, but I studied communications and I went quite quickly on to work at Reuters, the press agency at the Amsterdam Bureau um, in, 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 in Amsterdam. And that was a fantastic experience. I loved it, but looking back, I wonder if that was what I really should have been doing. Although, mm -hmm. It's, it's never a waste of time. I'm not saying that because obviously you learn so much. And I thought this is not where I should be. I don't, I didn't actually want to be a journalist, but although I was kind of going that way. And then I thought, you know, um, I'm going to apply to another job. And I then got a job at ABN AMRO, which is uh, Holland's largest bank. And if there is a creative department at a bank, it would have been the marketing department. So I was there at ABN AMRO for a very short time, actually. Shockingly, I think this is shocking, I was headhunted by a, a company called Financial Assets. So I was like, 
here I am, there's actually a hat maker inside of me who's doing financial or working in a financial institution, let's put it that way. And then I was uh, headhunted to work at Fortis Investments in Brussels. Mm -hmm. And having moved uh, a lot already, I thought, that's great. I'm ready for the next step. I'm going to Brussels, bring it on, right? Then I'd had the whole Benelux. I had done Luxembourg, I had done, um, you know, Holland was like now Belgium and I'll do Benelux. Great. So I moved to Brussels. I had a, I loved uh, the team I was working with there. It was very international. Like what I did, I did the marketing of Fortis funds for uh, UK and Holland and Ireland. And then there was somebody who did the same thing for Germany, for France, for uh, Spain. Um, it was just a really fun international team and everyone had their own, their own countries to work with. So I loved working there and it's a really international uh, place to live and then um I met my husband I mean previous prior to that and we got married and then lo and behold we are moving to China to Beijing mm-hmm. so this was the point when I thought okay I'm going to quit my job obviously because I'm going to join him to go to China but what am I going to do when I get there and this was before the financial downturn. So if you were working at a bank in 2007, everything was still normal. And then after that, everything kind of went downhill. So I was quite optimistic that I thought, you know, I love working with my hands. Every day after work at the bank, I would come home and I would be knitting, sewing, drawing, doing something. And I loved it because you know what? I could see what I was making with every stitch or loop. You could see I was creating something. And at the bank, Although you're marketing a fund, it's an intangible thing. It's in the air. How do you, you put that on paper and say, you've got to buy this because it's so great because of what I'm going to tell you or show you on a paper. You can't see it or smell it or touch it. And so I really missed that. And I realized that I should follow that and just try and let's see where it goes. So I thought, you know, I want to make something, but I'd already reached a, I thought, a part in my life that I don't want to go back to go to you know, a design school for years. or So I thought, what can I do? What can I learn? I don't wanna do clothes. I don't wanna do shoes. I'm not into, not into jewelry. I'm not into a lot of things. And I thought, you know what? Who makes hats? Like I loved hats. I had, later I counted, I actually had a hundred hats at that point. It's like staring me at the, in the face and I didn't think of hats. I mean, until, until later. But I had loads of vintage hats and loved wearing hats. And I thought, gosh, do people make hats? How do you learn that? I mean, um, this this was maybe a little, it wasn't like so obvious that you go on YouTube and you just look at, how, oh, how do I make hats? This was kind of early days. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna do a course in hat making. And I was looking and I thought, if I like this, I'm gonna do this. And if I don't like it, I'm going to get to China and I'm gonna just find a job in the financial sector where I was before. Mm-hmm. And that was my, so that was my plan B. And so I was looking I, initially for a hat uh, course in Brussels because that's where I was living and I couldn't find anything. And then I looked in The Hague because that's where my husband was living. We were, we were living separate or, well we, well, we were fiance. I don't know if we were married yet. Anyway, after we married, we went back to Brussels and, and The Hague. And then um, I didn't find anything. And then I found one in, uh, in the UK, in Womburn. It's near Wolverhampton. Mm-hmm. So it was called the Womburn School of Millinery. Okay. And I thought, I quit my job at Fortis. I went there. I moved out of Brussels, sorted that whole stuff out because I had to bring everything to The Hague so that the container to China was packing everything up in The Hague. Anyway, I go off to England, do this course. And, I'm, and I didn't want to put too much pressure on myself. I thought, because you need to buy, you don't know if you can see all these, all these mold, all these hat um, molds behind me, all these wooden things. Mm-hmm. Shape and this is actually a hat. Ooh, where am I? The red one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on a wooden mold right now. So okay. um, I can show you. That's kind of interesting because you need to, to make the shape. You need to pull it over. You can see there's a, there's wood inside here, and you this is felt. This is a, a hat I'm making for a client, and you pull it over and pin it. And I've already taken the pins out. Mm-hmm. So you have to invest in all these these wooden things here. Mm-hmm. And that. Um, 
I don't know, it's not a huge investment, but it was still kind of like, am I really, because you don't want to buy all this stuff if you're not going to use it. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a big deal. And um, I, I remember thinking, okay, I love this. This is so cool. I'm sewing, I'm making, because you can make hats on molds, which you can, like this one has not been made on a mold. This is just mm-hmm. totally free one. So I thought I'm going to do this. And I bought many molds and I brought them uh, back to, in the plane from Wolverhampton to Holland. I put them, they, they just made it into the container to China. And I arrived in China. Who are you? I'm Elizabeth, the hat maker. It was like that. And I was like, oh my God, I feel weird saying that because I've only just had a course, but I just totally reinvented myself. Yeah. But if you believe you can achieve that, that's what I constantly hear sometimes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, there's another one. I was, I can't think of it though. But anyway, so make I just- Make it you I, make it? Yeah, me. <laughs> but I made a whole, uh, I was like, okay, you know what? I need to make uh, labels. I need to make business cards. I need to make a website. Um, go, go, go. Uh, logo, uh, hat boxes had to be made. So I, I, I did all of that. And, and, and without, well, I had taken some Chinese lessons. That's another story. But, um, and then, and then I went to my Benelux Chamber of Commerce and I said, you know, I want to set up this business. What do I do? They advised me to do it in Hong Kong, which I did. And, um, yeah, just went, just went, just snowballed, just snowballed. And, th- and then I was there for 13 years. So that's, yeah. that's yeah. So then now, I mean, cause one time I saw like, you know, um, I, you, you indicated like your hats were shown where, like how, how many places like Vogue and, and how many different places have Everywhere. Your showcase? I'll just show you if you can see the top, the top, uh, there. All of these, mag- those are all my hats. Because wow. some people are like, are those your hats? I'm like, they wouldn't be hanging on my wall if they weren't my hats. It's kind of, kind of can't show you the corner over there. Ooh. Wow, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. So, I mean, like, how how hard or, or not so hard was it to set up a business in Hong Kong? Uh, that, I just wanted to show you real quick. This was my my course in the Wombrin School of Millinery. I don't know if you can see that. Like, this was my award wall. But that was in, in, and this is me as a child wearing a hat. <laughs> anyway. I love it. I love it. Okay. So, okay. No, um, uh, that, it's not hard, but you just have to go through the motions. And nowadays, I'm not sure what that would entail to do that now, because uh, it's, it's, I think it's more difficult now that, I mean, this was in 2007. Mm-hmm. So a while ago but um yeah and and well the, the other well to talk i wanted to talk a bit about the the snowballing effect and this is i i think what can happen in china because um you just don't know where i i thought i'm going to make a hat for a client who needs a hat because her son is getting married her daughter's getting married or um mm-hmm. she, her husband needs to is an ambassador needs to present his credentials to the queen or mm-hmm. they're going next after and there's all sorts of reasons people need hats or or uh, for melbourne cup royal ascot or just for a party mm-hmm. so um i thought i'm gonna make hats and sell hats but then it was like oh you know we should do a show i've i met some people at hotels and we'd love an event here you can use yeah. the location like okay yeah. okay so, and then it went completely, I do hat making workshops. I've given Ted talks. It became a mm-hmm. sort of entertainment. I was hired by companies to mm-hmm. not only give demonstrations. I've done that for universities, for schools, for the Boy Scouts of America, to the Rotary Club, to the UN, to, I don't just wow. a lot of talks about, but people want different talks. It's either like, we want to hear your story. Or mm-hmm. We want to hear the history of hats. So like not promotional. Um, some people just want, um, to know how hats are made and I can show that in a whole presentation, like step-by-step. And also when companies hired me for events, it was, it was hiring me to go somewhere to either give a workshop to their VVIP clients or that's VVIP clients is, is something in China. (laughs) So, um, it, it, it went and, and for example, I would be asked to uh, go to some kind of real estate development in Southern China in a city no one's ever heard of with millions of people. And I guess to make their real estate opening more exciting, it's like, hey, we've got this hat designer in Beijing. 
you you can rent the hats i'll come down and you sort out the show the models and there i am and i'm the you know the 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 foreign hat maker in china so um it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun and at and that yeah. stage i had an agent even because at that point it was like people are hiring me as a person and not buying hats it was kind of crazy how that went but I can I can kind of brag about it now it was all awesome and I got the cover of Vogue I got to show this one this is the 100th issue of Vogue China shot by Mario Testino that's my hat that's on the cover that's amazing so many awesome things happened but and I could brag about it now because I come back to Holland and it's all gone it's all gone it's like, who are you? You know, we don't know who you are. I was like, oh my God, what happened? <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, and also Corona happened. That's also a big, uh, yeah. a big, because I had, I knew I was going to leave summer 2020. And I thought I'm going to make sure somebody can continue with my hats when I go. And with that in mind, I had a, I set up in, in the, during the time I was there, six joint labels I had with different shops or companies. Mm-hmm. And I was really looking at one in particular who I had a really great collaboration with. Um, and I said, guys, I really want you guys to take the hats over because I can design them. At least my blue label, I could design from here and have them made in China and they could sell them there in their shops. They had a whole bunch of shops. Mm-hmm. And when Corona came, they were like, we're not going to take anything over. We're shutting all our shops. It was like, yeah. no. And yeah. then I had a few leads and there were same. It's like, we're not doing anything, we're, you know? And it was just, and even now, because I'm in touch with them now, two years later, I'm like, how's it going guys? They're like, yeah, we have like one flailing shop online. Like, Yeah. Yeah. And I can understand that because I mean, I just left Shanghai in July. That was two months ago. So I just left uh, July 5th, I think it was. Um, yeah. Like, you know, like one month after they reopened the city, you know, then, then I left. And so I understand because the other day I was looking, um, you know, at something, you know, because obviously like, you know, because obviously I still did like a lot of Google searches about China because obviously I had lived there for three years. So like, I still, you know, the algorithm still going, I guess. So I still get like, you know, stuff that comes up in my Google newsfeed. And it was saying something about like, you know, Beijing and the lockdown or something like that. And I was just like, gosh, you know, so I can, I can understand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, lockdowns are still happening. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of thinking somebody might pick it up again uh, back in Beijing mm-hmm. and say, yeah, let's uh, let's do this. Let's do this hat thing. But in the meantime, I've definitely kept myself busy in the Netherlands. So the first thing I did is I was asked to join the board of the Dutch Hat Association. So I'm on oh, the board. Wow. Okay. And we have, I want to show you this. We have a fantastic magazine called Headlines. I am the editor-in-chief of Headlines magazine. Wow. And this is the English one that comes out in English and Dutch. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, it's really fun. Wow. That's really amazing. I would have never thought that there was a hat magazine, even though there's a magazine for fishing and everything else. So I guess there should be a hat magazine. You know what? There is a hat, and there are two hat magazines. There's also, so there's, this is the one I'm the editor-in-chief of. And um, this, like I said, comes out in English and Dutch, but there's also, there's also um, this one, the hat magazine. Mm-hmm. And for this one, I am the Asia correspondent. So I'm writing, uh, writing stories on my experience as a milliner in China. So here, oh, wow. here like there's one, the rise of the hat making workshop in China. And it's me writing about that. Wow. Nice. Nice. So so let me go backwards a little bit. Okay. So you mentioned that, you know, you went from the United States to Germany and then after that, you guys moved to, did you say that? Okay. And then, so then like, so, so like explain, like, I mean, what, what was your family doing that, you know, was precipitating like these various moves? My father was has always worked in the steel industry. I mean, he's retired now, and they've retired back to Atlanta. So mm-hmm. they're Dutch citizens living in the U.S., and they love it there. Um, back in the house I grew up in, actually. But yeah, he was in the steel industry, so he, I, I guess, moved for work. Yeah, it's always different. It, actually, they moved even more. They also moved to Bombay while I was finishing my last year of high school in Luxembourg. So that was a bit strange. And while I was at university... They also lived in India. So I went 
wow. for holidays to Bombay, but I, I can't say I really lived there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, my parents did, and I, and I very much enjoyed going there. That was another, that was, that was the only bit of Asia I knew before I ever lived to China. And it's incomparable. I mean, mm-hmm. India are two completely different countries. So, um, and, and culturally completely different. So, so yeah, that was my only reference to Asia before I moved to China. Okay. Just <laughs> totally different. And, and so like, I mean, you moved to all these different places and even though like, you know, I mean, when I met you, like your personality is still the same, it's still like, you know, bubbly and effervescent really. And, and it's still great. But um, I mean, how, how did you make friends in all these places? Because even though like you're an extrovert still, like you still have to go and, you know, find friends. So, so how did you do that? Ah, it's true. It's true. Uh, for me, um, it, well, I don't, it was never really hard to make friends, I guess, because of my personality or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do my best. But um, having moved, you kind of have to also, because when you go, nobody, nobody likes being the new kid at school, right? Yeah, Especially yeah, not yeah. in a new country. Even I don't like that. It's a horrible, super scary experience, but I think it does make you strong and it does, you know, it's character building, as they say. But um, like, for example, my sister didn't, well, it was more difficult for her to move around like we did uh, and ended up going to boarding school. And I don't know, and she wasn't happy there either, I don't think. But um, was it difficult? I, in China, it was so funny. We knew, my husband and I got there, we knew all of one person, knew one guy who I knew from James, from, um, from the Netherlands. And I think it just went from there. Mm-hmm. James, as I know him, and then, and then my husband had all his colleagues from work because he went for his job. So then they invited us over and, I, and then it just kind of rolled. And it does help if you walk around with the, I mean, this is kind of a small, not as obvious hat, but I have some pretty crazy hats. Mm-hmm. And then people are like, and this is also what's great about, I think the Chinese in general, they'll just look at you and say, oh, that you're, you're wearing a hat or even not even necessarily a compliment does not have to be, Oh, that's a beautiful hat. It's like, like, wow, you're wearing a hat or, Oh, or, you're really tall or whatever. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not very tall, but sometimes if I were really high heels, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but you'll just, you'll just say something. Whereas maybe in the West, you wouldn't just go up to somebody and say yeah. something so easily. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, maybe like those are awesome shoes or I don't know, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, but friends, I mean, okay, let's say contacts and, and, and when you're wearing a hat, it's also, it also attracts attention like, Ooh, and then I say, I made it. And then you open this whole thing from what, really? Oh, that's interesting. Tell me about that. And then it's at a lot of these events I would go to in China, how it, how it all started was you'd go to the opening of this, the opening of that, the, the, the new, the new stores was the new Jimmy Choo store, the new um, Dolce Gabbana store opened up. There was a amazing Armani show. So you, I don't know how I got, I, I think James, my one and only contact, he was like Mr. Social Beijing and mm-hmm. got me on this, on this um, party list. And from that moment, I went to everything with an outfit and a matching hat. And of course I met Vogue Bazaar, everybody there. And before I knew it, people were just, and at that, at the beginning, I had my studio at home and they were just knocking on my door out of the blue um, using hats for photo shoots. So that's also something that. Gosh, that's nice. That's nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And um, you know, plus obviously, you know, like I said, we met at Viva and that was like a great women's organization. Yeah to like connect women. I mean, it's, it's amazing because like I met a really, really good Chinese friend there and, and yeah, I I don't think if I had gone there, I would have. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Okay. Um, so, okay. So then now, so then now you mentioned that, oh, well, um, you know, things have changed and, you know, you're not, manufacturing you know the way that you had hoped or or in any way that you had hoped so then now what do you do with your time I mean I'm sure you still make hats but like you know and you're and you're a mom and a wife but like what else do you do yeah so I have I I just mentioned I'm on the board of the the Dutch Hat Association so that takes quite a bit of time and doing the editor-in-chief job for hat lines is another another big one but what's interesting, and I've noticed this, um, 
more and more order. I got more and more orders. Like the red one I'm making is for a client. Mm. I've made quite a few hats for clients lately. And also people that just buy the hats that I have here. So I can see that starting. And also I see the workshops taking off again. I mean, I've had a few mm. since I came back, but it was in Corona time and amounts of people in your house were restricted. And mm -hmm. there was one family, it was like a mom and some daughters and their friends. They were like, well, we don't mind. We'll just come and don't tell anybody. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't illegal anyway, but so we did a few uh, workshops, but I have three big ones in November have already been booked ahead of time. Wow. Like birthday parties. So I'm, I'm seeing um, that it's starting a little. And um, besides that, I'm actually, I started a job at a museum merchandise store. Mm -hmm. So that's super fun because I thought everything comes together. It's design stuff and they're beautiful images. If you think of Rembrandt or Van Gogh or um, who do we have? Da Vinci, even, even Miffy, Miffy's Dutch, uh, Dick Bruna. But there's a lot of, a lot of fun cultural in there and the, and the products are fun. So I'm working uh, with this company in Delft Mm -hmm. And they sell their products already to the Louvre, the Rijksmuseum, the, the Prado in Madrid, um, the Cleveland Museum in America. So they have a huge database of clients. Um, and who doesn't love a gift shop? Music, yeah. a gift shop. Like, yeah. I love music gift shops. Mm -hmm. So much fun stuff in there. So I'm really happy to work with them now. Yeah. So, so now that you're here or there in the, in the Netherlands, um, like, do you think that that's going to be your forever home now or? Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. I, I know that. I mean, well, I'm, I, I, we had in the 13 years we lived in Beijing, we moved 10 times, not because we wanted to, because you're kicked out of your house a lot in China mm -hmm. <laughs> or they'll double the rent or there's yeah. something where in Holland, that's like super illegal. You can't do that. But in China, I, and I don't know if it's because we're foreign or because they can do that to anybody, mm -hmm. even, if, even if a Chinese landlord has Chinese tenants, but um, you can just be kicked out. Even if you have a contract, it doesn't matter. It's like, mm -hmm. you're in my house. I want to sell it. Get out. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, I just had a baby or I don't care. Don't care. You have to go. So, mm -hmm. I mean, not that it always went like that. One house, we had a, a pipe burst and it flooded and the all the the whole floor got screwed up. So we had to, and it started molding. So we had to get out of there. So there was, there was it's a number of reasons, um, not always negative, but um, some, some not so great experiences in China and alternatively some fantastic experiences in China. So, but we moved a lot. And when we came here, we like bought this big grown up house for the first time. Like we came from a two bedroom apartment in Beijing and the kids, my two eldest, they always, they only knew that they shared a room their whole life. And then we come here and they have their own room. We bought this house online without having seen it in real. We, cause oh. I was, I'm sorry, uh, my husband was still in, in Beijing and I was um, in, in Florida and we bought this house, like digi sign everything. And we're like, okay, we got a great house. And, and I think that um, contributes to the fact that I just, this is our house. Nobody can kick us out. I feel super at home here. I love our neighborhood. I love The Hague. Um, the schools are great. Everything's worked out. The kids have friends at school. They have their uh, sports activities after school. And um, I, I love, this is really interesting. When I moved to Holland, I had this sudden feeling of um, belonging, which is crazily enough, I never knew I missed it in China. But when I came here, it's like, wow, you fall into this system. And maybe a lot of people don't like that. Like, leave me alone, Dutch government. I don't need you to help me. But it was like, wow, there's all these things for you. Like I would, for example, I get all these letters. So we moved to Holland. The kids get the equivalent of a social security number. It's called a BSN number, which they never had because they hadn't lived here, even though they're Dutch citizens. Mm. You get and you fall into the um, healthcare system. And then I got letters and they were like, oh, you know, we see that you've, you're new, welcome to the Netherlands. Uh, we'd like to know what uh, vaccinations, and this was not to, not to do with COVID, just in general, what vaccinations your ch children have had. So we know, you know, where they need to go next. No, it's like, okay, great. So I sent them scans like, hey, we've seen that, you know, this child needs this, this child needs this, they can just go get it for free over there. And I'm like, for free? What? 
Oh my God. And then I got this letter that was like, for the little one, there's something called like a consultation bureau, which is something that exists in Holland for all children up until the age of four. And they go there regularly for just to check on their development. And I'm like, you care about the development of my child? You guys are amazing. It's all free. I mean, we pay high taxes, I get it, but it was like, they, they, they really also say, how are you as a mom? Are you having any feelings of depression? Are you sad? It's like, wow, you do this with everybody. I mean, it was really interesting to experience this, you know, coming uh, with, with a whole family with three kids. And I tell this to Dutch people who complain about how horrible it is in Holland, because a lot of do tend to complain i'm like you do not know how good but complain happen. complain about what like what what do they complain well, the government doesn't do enough and we should have oh. more stuff and i'm like this is paradise living here you have so many rights you hand it to you in a platter it's like oh if if for example if you have two couple if a couple both of you work you want the kids are too young to go to school they can go to a cash so a kind of a daycare mm-hmm. and care is extremely expensive but you only pay the ratio of your earning of what you earn so if you earn very little you pay very little and if you earn a lot you pay a lot mm-hmm. so i mean i'm not saying a lot of people don't like this system i know but i'm thinking the fact that this all exists mm-hmm. is when we came to china the international schools cost a freaking fortune Guess yes what? yes that you get mm-hmm. diplomat uh, discount, but the diplomats don't need to pay for it themselves because their employer pays it for them. But if you're a entrepreneur like we were, oh, you don't get the discount because you're not diplomats. Like, that yeah, makes, yeah, makes no yeah. Sense. yeah. I remember when, yeah, I remember when I worked there, and I used to think like, gosh, wow, like this is a lot of money people are paying every single month. Wow. And I mean, I taught little ones, you know, from like three to five. And I'm just thinking like, gosh, like they're paying this much when they're three. Wow. Yeah, it's wow. a lot. It's a lot. And the schools here are basically free. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's something called a parental contribution and it's not mandatory. I mean, if you can afford it, you pay it. And of course I've always paid it, but it's not forced upon you. So if a parent feels like I can't make the contribution and nobody knows, nobody's gonna be like, oh, they're the ones that didn't pay the, nobody knows. It's totally yeah. private. So it's, I, I just couldn't believe that I had fallen into this system where I felt like I was being taken care of, like, wow. And I get letters that say, oh, it's now time for your child or for you to renew your passport or for your child to get this and this uh, vaccination or, and then all this information about how, why you need it and what, what your choices are. And, and then at the bottom there, it says, it says in like five languages in Arabic, in, in whatever, if you, Chinese, it's like, if you cannot read this, scan this QR code. In China, nothing's in English, not even the the visa form yes. the form to renew your visa yes, which is i know it's so you hire somebody to yeah. do it for you and then we had to do it every single year again even though my husband had a a, a company in china yeah so anyway i don't want to i'm not china bashing but it was just it was just such a difference to come yeah. here and think wow i'm totally welcomed here they facilitate everything for you mm-hmm. and and i felt like wow this feeling of belonging who who would ever want to leave Holland? It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I like that when you say the feeling of belonging. So then I'm going to ask you a question that, you know, is kind of like, is very much connected to the feeling of belonging. And that's like home. So like, you know, when you've lived in different places and, or when you've lived in China, how do you make a place feel like a home? Like, you know, when you're like, okay, I'm, you know, how, when at the end of the evening or whatever, people are like, oh yeah, I'm going home now. So like, you know, how do you make a place feel like a home? I've heard, okay, well, from, yeah, I I heard the story that curtains are very important. I don't Mm -hmm. know. And I heard that if you take your curtains from one house to another and you have them in that same house, that it feels like home because those are your curtains. Nice came from but I always did that so we always had I mean until our very last house in China and you know this was so bad because they were super super long they came out of my house in um, Amsterdam 
um, where the ceilings were high, but I would, this is the worst story. I used to fold them up and pin them with um, safety pins so that it you know, was just on the floor, the right length, because I knew I would have to put them somewhere else later and I would have to adjust the height. So mm -hmm. I never sewed it. Mm -hmm. So it's that I had this safety pin curtain and of course the kids would play in it and it would rip and it would just, it, the thing was so tattered by the end of our 13 years in China. It was just, and they never left China. We left them there. I'm sorry to say, but I think it really did help at least for the kids mm -hmm. that they saw those curtains all the time. And, and, but furniture, I mean, not everyone can travel with a container furniture. I get that. But that also makes a big difference. And I didn't think the kids really cared until we had this one piece of furniture that we had in all our houses and it's, it's here now. But I remember thinking maybe we should, you know, get rid of that or sell it or something. And then the kids, it's an antique piece of Dutch wooden furniture, like a little closet. And the kids suddenly said, no, I love that thing. And I was like, you do? Really? <laughs> Because they used to play under it. And there's this little thing they used to play with their cars. And I was like, I used to hide under there. It's like, I didn't know you were so attached to it. And so it does, it goes to show that they do uh, form an attachment to your furniture or the curtain yeah. or whatever. But um, I think that makes things homely to answer your question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's several things that, you know, I feel like, you know, from each place. So like, you know, from America, I bought brought some books, um, you know, and photos, obviously. And from China, I brought several things like I bought in different shops, you know, like, you know, wow. things that like had to deal with like pandas. Like I went to a, um, what's it called? The Propaganda Arts Museum. Have you ever been there in Shanghai? No, not that I've been to other museums, but not that one. Yeah, no. yeah. It's an amazing place. I met the owner and uh, it's the Propaganda Poster Arts Center. And yeah, there's all this, you know, propaganda <laughs> on, on all these posters. It's it's unbelievable, honestly. Like you, re you really do see like some, uh, a lot of, of you know, uh, history that, you know, maybe you might not have like known about, but anyway, so if you speak to the owner, but anyway, so I bought some things from there. And then I had this one um, parent buy me this really wonderful porcelain tea set, you know, with like, yeah. And, and so I still have that. So like each thing now, and, and I guess, you know, here in Colombia, I'm sure like I'll collect new things, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's something from each place that makes it feel nice. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So then you, so speaking of your children, like, you know, and you grew up in various places, but your children grew, really grew up in China. Like, I mean, what what was the difference in like your childhood compared to like you raising them in child it, you raising them in China? Like, you know, what what were the differences or if similarities that you saw? Yeah, it's so different because it was a totally different time. I mean, I didn't grow up with, with internet or mobile phones, and they do. It's, mm -hmm. it's so I mean, for me though. Atlanta was a constant until 13. So mm -hmm. that I didn't know I was going to have this traveling life. I mean, maybe unlike most of the kids at school, I was going to Europe every summer. That was already a little different because I went to my grandparents here in The Hague, like I said at the beginning. But um, I had no idea we were going to move uh, to Germany and all that. Uh, I actually thought, thought it quite exciting. Um, but for the kids, I think they we I think we made it pretty clear we were going to leave summer 2020 because that was our plan for a while. But they they came they also came to Holland every so often and to the states to see my parents so that the both grandparents they would see. I'm just trying to think of what yeah, I guess we we both had that constant to a certain age but for the two youngest ones less, but they know now that we are here and we're not leaving. So this is your room, this is your school, this is your neighborhood. And I try to make that very clear. Like we have a neighbor boy out back and he goes, he's the exact same age as my son. So our, our gardens, you know, are, touch each other at the back because we're, we're all townhouses here. And I'm like, and so they're, they're not really enemies but they don't, they're not friends because they go to different schools. Mm. And I'm like, come on. 
we're not moving. He's not moving. You guys are like your windows of your bedrooms. They look out at each other. You're going to be there for the next, how many years are you still at home? Seven years. So you might as well make friends. So I do try to make it clear that he's, uh, that we're staying here. And um, I'm just trying to think of what the similarities or differences. I mean, their, their life in China was so different. I mean, in the first case, because you're living in a country where Chinese are visibly different from you. Mm -hmm. And so they're always different. And then they have, oftentimes they were the only child that looked slightly different than everybody else uh, in their class pictures. And also very Chinese is that they would say, oh, like they, they think it's so beautiful. Like I've got these blonde, blue eyed kids. And I was like, you know, people wouldn't do that here in Holland because mm -hmm. they all like that. So I don't, and I heard we would talk about as parents, like you don't want your kids to be brought up thinking, I'm so beautiful. I'm so great. I'm so special. Cause you, you don't, you know, you, you, <laughs> they're going to get too big headed with this, but um, also, well, yeah, culturally, the Chinese food, we had a helper at home. IE was there. We don't have that here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, their lives are totally different than my life here. They want to go back. They love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. And so, so tell me, like, you know, what, okay, so what were the struggles and joys of being an expat, so living in different places like yeah what what have been the struggles and joys oh language struggle uh briefly getting used to new currencies i mean i'm talking about not just china but always when you're 13 and suddenly you have to deal with the deutschmark and i'm like what is that and how much is that worth and then suddenly we had luxembourgish francs and you, and then you go out with 500 francs. It's like, whoa, it sounds like so much, but of course it's, it's worthless. So um, yeah, struggles again, making new friends, finding your, 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 your spot in a new school, in a new class is always tough. Um, but I find later it's less tough. I, I found this is actually, I wonder if you had this in China. When I would just walk down the street, like with the, with the stroller or whatever, and I would see another foreigner, we would just smile at each other. Cause yeah. it's like, yeah same boat here we're both foreigners in China and it was kind of funny how you'd have some kind of connection it's so interesting how you can make friends like this when you're abroad and and then well I think I, I think home is also okay but yeah maybe easier that way mm -hmm. yeah 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 um and and it is fascinating how yeah I mean you can click but yeah I mean I guess you know, because it's funny because when, when I lived in, you know, America, um, you know, I, I only spent time with Americans, but then, you know, now when I've moved abroad, I've spent time with so many different types of foreigners. Like the other day here in Colombia, um, a woman, she posted, Hey, there's a film festival going on in the city of Harding. And, and she's like, anyone want to come? And I'm like, oh, sure, I want to come. And so then we met up to like, you know, just like connect before we actually went on our trip together. And she's Russian. And, you know, gosh, it's amazing how much we hit it off. And so we went on a trip and we stayed in the same room and we stayed up and we talked so much. And then we came back and, you know, we still keep in touch. We still talk. And, and it was just so amazing because, I mean, believe it or not, I had not had any Russian friends so it was just like gosh it's amazing when you live abroad and then like you meet another foreigner and it's like oh my god hello and then you realize like how much like of a connection you make it is it is amazing yeah well, that is really fun that's that's yeah. a big yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I'll ask you one last question. Um, so so now that that you've finally you have this house and it's gonna be your home, but but you've made homes in other places. What's your definition of home? Yeah, what is my definition of home? Oh, it's tough. It's hard. Like if you're traveling around alone, I don't even know how to answer that but if I wanted to say home is where your family is and in my case I mean my husband my kids before that it would have been where my parents mm -hmm. that maybe was home Atlanta but but when they're living in Bombay I wouldn't say Bombay is my home I don't know that's a really tough question what is my definition of home oh this is a difficult one 
yeah, where I guess I, I guess it is where your stuff is, but that sounds so material. It's okay. What is it to you? It's okay. It's okay. Well, my stuff is there, so that's where I'm home. It used to, it used to definitely just be where my family is. Like like yeah, where the kids and my husband are. And if they're in a wherever, that's that's where home is, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And actually, you know, now that I was thinking of something, now I want to ask you like even one more question about your hats. Um, so like how do you price your hats? I wonder, because I mean there's so much work that goes into it. So like how do you how do you price it? Well, I have two labels. So that, that's a whole different, like the, I have a label that I design. I don't make it. And that, and everyone can see that because I have one here and it's blue. The label is blue and it's called my blue label and my name's in there. So I have probably 50 of these have been made to my design. And so those have a lower price point. Mm. And um, I can, oh, I don't know in dollars, they're between 65 and 115 euros. Mm -hmm. So that's same in dollars and they all come with a hat box and so that's all the blue labels and i've got lots of fun blue labels like this is also a nice blue label it's a it's all cinema and there's a blue label inside they're all in hair bands fascinators mm -hmm. but then you have hats like this which is pink label or the tailor-made hat i'm making right there um this one you can see as different it has a pink label inside and it has my name and it's, this is so hundred percent handmade by me. Yeah. You have to look at a lot of things. You have to look at the time it takes to make it, the materials that you're going to use for it. And also like this one, I just made because I wanted to make it. But if you're making a hat for a client, sometimes, sometimes the client wants to change things when you're in the middle of making it. So it takes mm. super long. I even had a client in China who had a whole outfit ready for Melbourne cup and then her theme changed. And I, had to change the hat. It's like, I basically had to start over and make another mm. hat. And so I was like, this is going to change the price. And she's like, I realize people do realize that, but um, yeah, it's a lot, it, it's time. A lot of time is put into it pricing. And also um, yeah, in, in China, my, my agent was saying, Oh, Elizabeth, you're a hat queen. You just need to keep putting your prices up because of your image and the Vogue and stuff like that. But you know, it, it yeah it, you just look at the top materials really this is made in switzerland this stuff so it's all and i would import that to china so all that all wow wow okay all right and so now if if anyone watching this wants to like purchase a hat how do they do that ah okay well go to my website i would say and what's your website what's your website website is www.elizabethkoch.co co and the Elizabeth is with an S, okay. not as a So then Elizabeth Koch, K-O-C-H dot co. And um, also you can contact me through Instagram. My hashtag is Elizabeth Koch Millinery. Milliner, a milliner is a hat maker. Millinery is the place where you make hats. And actually a milliner makes women's hats. A hatter makes men's hats. That's another little piece of information. Oh, okay. Make. Like the Mad Hatter and Alice in Wonderland makes men's hats. So um, go to my website, send me an email, contact me or uh, WhatsApp. I think everything's on my website, the details. And wherever you are in the world, I can send it to you. You can send me pictures of your dress or outfit and I can send you options that match, make changes to it, whatever. Okay, nice, nice, nice. Okay, well, with that, I'm going to say thank you so much, Elizabeth, for taking the time to be interviewed by me on this podcast, Are We Home Yet?, where I talk to expats around the world and find out, you know, what's it like living abroad, the struggles, the joys, you know, what does home mean, how do you make a home, all that stuff. So anyway, I hope you have a great day, and all of our listeners, hope you have a great day too. Bye. Bye, bye.